we've changed this up a little bit, and um, we have uh, Dave come out uh, at the front end, and I'll introduce him a little bit later. I want you to know this is going to be um, a very different message, and it's going to be a very different message because I got this message. Uh, I've been working through it. In fact, Dave and I finished it together about five minutes before the service started uh, because of just different aspects of it. And, um, and the message is called Keeping the End in Mind. And we'll be talking about that. But what makes that very difficult for me is, as a church, we lost a good, good man this week. A good husband, a good elder, and to many of us, a good friend. And his name was Aaron Lapine. And uh, for those of you who didn't know, he's been very, very ill. They've kind of kept that under house. Uh, and uh, he passed away Thursday evening. And, uh, and Beth happens to be here tonight because this is her church family. And uh, she is absolutely loved, and he's going to be absolutely missed. And so when you hear the message and see where we're going with the message, you'll understand that when I saw her, why? I broke down and cried. So uh, I apologize for that. Now, if you're a guest, I want you to know my name is Greg, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are glad that you, you are here, whether you're online or in person we consider it an honor that you've chosen to be at the service. So if you're online, you can go to a section there on your page. This says, I'm new here, and there's an uh, online uh, connection card you can fill out. If you're here in person, we'd ask you to stop at the welcome uh, table out in the foyer, because we just want to get to know you. And uh, the first step in doing so is just having information so we can begin to do some exchanges via email and letter. Uh, But before we begin tonight, um, I want to pray. Uh, Father, um, it's a hard day. It's always a hard day when, when somebody, Father, that we love uh, is gone. And, um, and yet at the same time, we know precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And uh, as Beth said, uh, he got the crown of glory and he is home and he has heard the word, well done, a good and faithful servant. And I pray as we hear this message today that we would think about that too, that sometime our time is going to to be over, and um, what will people say about us? What stories will they tell? And how will that story be intertwined with a Redeemer, Savior, Lord who pursues us? So Father, we ask you to be our guest in this service. We pray for all the things that we have on our tray that we uh, are worried about or thinking about. We pray, Father, that we would clear that off and put it on the back burner so we can hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. In the way of introduction, um, there's a book that's in my office I like to read once in a while, even books with words. And um, uh, one of my favorite books uh, is written by John Ortberg, and it's a great read. And if you looked at it, I highlight like crazy, most of you know that, but I have at least 100 or more stickies inside the book. Uh, There's just so much fun in there and so many things that challenge me as I would read through the pages. but at the beginning of the book, Ortberg tells of his grandmother who loved to play games and she didn't like to lose. I don't know if you had a grandmother like that. I did. Um, he says this. He says, she didn't get mean or mad, but she still, to use an expression from her childhood world, had some snap in her girdle. And, um, and, and, and that was part of her charm, he said. And he goes on to say that she loved the game of Monopoly the most and she knew how to play the game. 
and she didn't play for second place. She wanted to win. Um, he said, what I didn't know as a kid playing against her all that time was I didn't know that the name of the game was accumulating uh, land. And money and land acquisition is how you keep score. And to the victor goes the spoils. And she played with skill and passion and reckless abandon, abandonment. And he says, uh, eventually, inevitably, she would beat me every time. And when the game was over and I had lost again, she'd smile and say, don't worry, someday, not today, but someday, probably way down the road someday, you'll learn how to play the game. And he said, I hated that. I had a grandmother that used to do that with us and she'd play and she was a trash talker. She would say things like, really, you went, you went to high school? What, you went to college? And she was particularly abusive when it came to word games. She just knew everything of words. And that was this guy's grandma. And he says this, but one day he said, I was older and I was ready to play. And I sat down to play. And he says in his own words, that day I was more ruthless than she was. My palms were sweaty. I would play without softness or caution. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. <laughs> vulnerability. Relentless and determined, I drove her off the board. He goes, the game does strange things to you. Um, I can still remember, he says, it happened at Marvin Gardens. If you're familiar with the game. I looked at my grandmother, and this was the woman who had taught me how to play. She was an old lady now, a widow. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And he said, it was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> he said that day his grandma had one more thing, though, that she wanted to teach him. A most important lesson at the end of the game, and it's the title of the book. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. It's true of Monopoly, and it's true in life. I have a friend of mine who passed away this year, and when he passed away, he was, his net worth was just over $100 million. And um, apparently and sadly, he wasn't that close of a friend. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but after uh, Ron had passed away, a friend of mine said, well, and he didn't know, but he knew that Ron had done well. He goes, how much did he leave behind? And you know the answer, all of it. Plato said that the entire task of philosophy can be, philosophy can be summed up as this, what's that mean? In the Greek it means this, be ever, ever mindful of death. Be ever mindful of death. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it this way, it's better to go where people are mourning than to go where people are having a good time. Everyone will die someday, and those who are still living should really think about that. It's true. One of the great philosophers of our time, Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> said it this way. To me, if life boils down to one significant thing, it's movement. To live is to keep moving. Unfortunately, this means that for the rest of our lives, we're going to be looking for boxes. When you're moving, moving, your whole world is boxes. 
That's all you think about. Boxes, where are the boxes? You just wander down the street going in and out of stores. Are there boxes here? Have you seen any boxes? It's all you think about. You could be at a funeral. Everyone around you is mourning and crying, and you're looking at the casket. And you're thinking, that's a nice box. Does anybody know, anybody know where that guy got that box? When he's done with it. You think I could get it? It's got nice handles. My stereo and large TV screen would fit in there. I mean, that's what death really is, the last big move of your life. And the hearse is like the van, and the pallbearers are your close friends, the only ones you could really ask to help you with a big move like that. And the casket is that great perfect box you've been looking for for your whole life. I want you to know, when I had this together and I got the text message, it was really, really surreal. And one of the things I wanted to do during this service, believe it or not, was to have a casket up here. Because it's a visual you really can't, you can't ignore. But I want you to keep that, that view of the casket, if you would, in your mind. Because all of us, one day, it's 100% given, all of us, this life for us is gonna be done. A friend of mine posted just yesterday. I didn't even know this, and this is what he said. Just over a year ago, I was electrocuted with 3,000 volts of electricity. Since then, I've taken the time to smell the roses, the leaves in the fall, and Christmas cookies. I've taken time to read more and to put down that stupid phone. I've given my undivided attention to my wife and children. I've seen my life for what it is, a compilation of stories that others can tell when I finally die here on earth. And the stories we leave behind mark those that we love and those that we dislike or those we even come in contact with. And who will tell stories about you? And when they do, what will they say? I've taken time to ask the big question, why am I here? I meet with two guys now every week. One of them is Al Watts. And Al, if you know him, he's also a really good man in our church. And they, he had a heart attack. And I remember, and I've got it on my phone, you can hear it, when Julie called to tell us and I asked, can you go to the hospital, can you come here? It's not looking good. They gave him a 5% chance. Another guy in the group, his name's Lynn. By the way, when Al, the ambulance came to pick him up, they had to defib him three times. Lynn, same thing, came to his house. They had to defibrillate him four times. They gave him 3% chance of living. And when we sit down and talk, they would tell you, we don't talk like we used to talk. It's changed. It has all changed. And the things that we thought were important are not that important anymore. And we're not sure what to do with this close call of death, but it's a second chance. And everything has, has changed. My friend goes on to say, I don't take people or things for granted. I try to be nicer and kinder, more loving, giving more, laughing more, crying more, to live life to the full. He says, your next breath is not guaranteed. Don't take your life or your influence 
our relationships for granted. Another man said it this way, somebody should tell us right at the start of our lives that we are dying. Then we might live life to the limit every minute of every day. Do it, I say, do it now. So I wanna talk about some things that I think are important and um, one of them is uh, friends. I sent this note to this guy over two decades ago because we have become best friends. We have a lot of history, a lot of laughter, a lot of tears and brokenness, a lot of mountaintop experiences and some very deep valleys. That, that little thing that I sent him, I wanna read it to you because I want you to ask yourself if you have one of these. Once in an age, God sends to some of us someone who loves in us, not a false imagining or an unreal character, but looking through all of our human imperfections, loves, us, loves in us the divine ideal of our nature. We call the rarest of person who loves us not alone with emotion, but with true understanding of friend. And this is my best friend. And, and I say that because um, it's true. And uh, he's been there more times than anyone else I know. Um, when we were out for dinner today, I said, this is the best thing ever to sit with my two best friends, which is my wife and my friend Dave. And I've asked them to join us because I want you to know that Dave's had a lot of heartache and it's not been real easy this last decade. There has been a lot of hard things. And we're gonna talk about a few of them. I've asked him if he'd be willing to do that. And, um, and I love this guy. So he's my, my first Samuel 18. And if you remember that story, his name is David. And it says, when Jonathan saw David, he loved him as himself and he was one in spirit with him. And this is, this is my friend. So Dave, I wanna start off, I'm gonna just kinda throw it your way first of all, if you can, because uh, <laughs> just so you know, we're both really raw today. So, because he's got some heavy things uh, there on his tray now. And... Um, so hopefully we'll get through this thing. Yeah. By the way, so I did his wedding. He was married, got divorced, and I was with him during those days. He went five years before he started dating again because he had full custody and wanted to raise his three kids. Um, but at his wedding that I did, how many years ago is that now? 10, 11, 12? 12 years ago. 12 years ago. We both wept the whole snaking wedding. And, uh, <laughs> and one person who was there said, I've never been to a wedding where it was just all the guys who were crying. So... Um, yeah. Just got to know that that's true. <laughs> My future wife was rolling her eyes and looking for the nearest exit. <laughs> yeah. And her parents anyway. didn't speak English, so they had a translator. So that was a unique experience too. But I want to I start off with one of them that was really big for you, and that was, was your dad. And why don't you give us a little backdrop of, of your relationship with your dad in, in that week? Well, my dad and I were really close, and uh, by the time he passed away, he... Uh, we had become best friends and day-to-day -day work partners. And one of the things that I really miss most is he was a witness to my life. And uh, it's rare that a man has that opportunity to have that kind of person in your life. And actually, Greg was one of those, too. Greg, when we first met, I was kind of in the throes of a, of a divorce and pretty much down and out. And uh, I'd kind of given up. And Greg and his youth staff 
took me in and gave me some stuff to do with the kids, taught me how to laugh again. And but one of the most important things he had is he had a philosophy that every man needs a six-pack. And by that time, we'd given up on this six-pack. <laughs> but, but you need six guys in your life to help you through life and carry you through life, and then ultimately the ones that would be your pallbearers at the end of your life and witnesses to your life. Um, so it was, it was difficult losing my dad, my partner. He died tragically in a fall at my shop very suddenly. Um, so, but I had... I do want to, I want to interrupt and say, what was happening that weekend? I think that was a Thursday that he fell. Yes. And that Sunday was what? Going to be? His, his 80th birthday party, so... With over 300 yep. guests coming. So it was, uh, he was a man that was loved all around. Um, and so it was a difficult time. And one of the hardest things was watching my mom lose her best friend. Um, so, but, you know, I learned, blessed are those who mourn. And boy, we did a lot of mourning. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, but I had, I had people like Greg, a few other guys around. Uh, I'm blessed to have my brother as one of the guys in my six-pack. And we were, we, we were with Dad when he passed away, um, bleeding on my shop floor as he fell and hit his head on concrete. Um, so I'm thankful, but blessed are we who mourn because we had something to lose. We had a relationship. And uh, as you'll hear throughout our whole Greg's message here that, you know, the quality of relationships determine the quality of your life. They do. One of the things I want you to know, they had this party coming, and, and they went ahead and had the party. But there were so many people around that weekend that Dave needed some space and time just to be alone with his thoughts. And what he did moved me. And I want you to tell what you did for that space and time. Well, I knew it would be hard for me to find any closure in this at all. Um, So I, uh, I asked the grave digger if I could dig, could dig his grave. And uh, he, he let me do that. And it was just a time of being alone uh, with my father. And, uh, and, you know, being where he was going to spend the rest of his, well, his physical body would spend it there. But uh, so it was just a good time to, to get a little bit of start of that closure. Um, but uh, I had a lot, of good, a lot of good people around me, and that was the difference. And uh, so I feel very blessed in that. Uh, and I just want to add one more thing. That after the funeral, Dave went back to the grave <laughs> with another close friend of his and covered all, it all in and laid down the sod. And then you said what, Dave? See you later, Pop. <laughs> because that's what he used to yeah. say to his dad all the time. Yeah. And... Um, but then your mom passed away within three years as well. So you had two huge, two huge losses. And loss is hard. Loss is hard. And, um, and, and it's hard, I think, sometimes even for us as believers to reconcile. Especially, his dad was 80. And I think, well, he's 80. His dad looked like he was 50. His dad, the man could work, had a great energy. He, he, that's what they did. They had a family farm. 
And there was times I'd meet his dad. He'd be out working on something out there, and, and you would have never guessed his age. And so losing him was doubly hard. Um, and then to lose your mom as well. Um, those were really difficult times. And then I just want to add another one. that uh, You had a friend who was really struggling. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I had a, one of my close friend. We were friends since fifth grade and were hunting buddies the whole time. But he struggled with alcoholism and... Uh, just a very difficult time dealing with his own issues. And um, so it came down to the point he attempted suicide several times. And we'd, of course, been there. And, and, uh, but on about the eighth or ninth time, we were there at the house. And he had uh, broken parole. And the police were coming to pick him up. And we were all sitting there uh, with him. And as I went out to ask the police to go around the back of the house so they wouldn't, you know, make the big parade out in the front, he got up and walked into the room and shot himself. And it, it, there, there was, I just, I regret everything I didn't do about that moment. Um, even going back to my dad's death, there was things that I regretted that I could have done that would have probably kept him from falling the way he did. Um, it was, and, but the regrets were going to get you, and thank the Lord I had people and a way to work through that and not let regrets take over my life. Um, so he, uh, we miss him. I miss him both dearly. And Derek, the fellow that committed suicide, he was one of my 2 a.m. 2 a.m. friends, I call him. Like Greg is, I can call him at 2 o'clock in the morning for whatever reason, and I don't hesitate to do it. And it, it, it hurts to lose those kind of friends. And Dave was telling me that this last week, uh, when the, was it last week? Another guy, a young two, man? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, and got in a fight with his girlfriend. He's, what, 30-something? and yeah, he, part was, of he his, was 44. 44, part of your company, and um, worked with his dad, and, and we, they couldn't find him. And um, they found him in a hotel, and he, and he was gone. And I remember Dave when he was telling me on the phone, and he just choked up, and he just said, he, he didn't have that two o'clock friend. He had nobody to call when he was in this difficult place. <clears throat> and then, I mean, we, we're gonna just do one more, and then I wanna move on to, to what I wanna talk about, because uh, your friend you're gonna go fishing with. Yeah, it's just those things that, He's a close friend that I actually bought my farm from 25 years ago, and uh, you know he invited me to go fishing probably 15 times, and I never did. And he passed away with uh, cancer just two weeks ago. And I just asked myself, what should I have done different? I should have just dropped everything and went fishing. Even the friend that died in the hotel room alone, the, the guys that we worked together, we said, what did we miss? Why did we miss that? And I like what Andy Stanley says. He's a preacher from uh, North Carolina, he said, whenever you feel attention, pay attention. And if there's something going on that just isn't right, do something about it. Whether that's to help a friend to reach out, you see somebody sitting alone, go out and do something to make that person's life different. Um, if something just doesn't feel right, just don't pass it over, but do something about it. And then we won't have those regrets. Dave and I, um, I, 
I would, had a, something I was doing in Laverne, Minnesota, and Dave's in here in Lake, and so I stopped, and they were harvesting, and we went and got a couple sandwiches and just kind of drove around in the tractor. And, but one of the things that we realized is uh, both of us have been really down. And uh, you were reading an article by Renee Brown, I think his name, and you went, yeah. there's just a couple of things she says that was really good in that, that they're profound. Well, Renee Brown, she's, uh, she wrote a bunch of books. One of them that I really like is Dare to Lead. And in that book, she talked about how she was, and she also does TED Talks and stuff like that. That's kind of where I found her. But she was talking with a group of uh, military people. And one of the overwhelming themes that kept on coming out and again and again through many different branches was that they were exhausted, they were tired. And so she really dug into that, her and her team, and, and figured out that their exhaustion was based in loneliness and disconnection. And it, it, you know, it became ep epidemic, and it is even in our lives that we are disconnected from people. You know, we're, with the internet and everything else, we're supposed to be the most connected people in the world, but yet we are the most disconnected. Another therapist that I, I listened to, uh, Esther Perel, she says that we have 12 or 2,500 friends on social media, but we can't find anybody to feed our cat. You know, and don't yeah, worry, but I'll, I'll, never ask, I'll never ask you to feed my cat. <laughs> I'm not, you know, love you cat people, but I'm not a cat person, so... But, uh, um, so it's, you know, we live in a world that where everything is happening so fast, and we, why is it that we can't slow down? Our world right now says that slow is bad. Well, it's not bad. Slow down and take the time to engage with people. I just want to, Greg's been with me for a long time, and I have a, my oldest son, Nathan, he uh, was stricken with a severe bipolar, other uh, mental issues when he was 20 years old. And Greg and I have been through many episodes with him. Um, and just Wednesday of this week, Wednesday, and really got bad on Thursday, he had a, a very manic episode and ended up in the mental health unit um, again. And as I was visiting him last night and checking out, um, and we, you know, we have to sign out of the unit and I was signing my name, and I looked up, and there was about 20 souls in that unit struggling with whatever they were struggling with, addictions and mental illness. I was the only visitor that came in the last 24 hours to see any of them. And it broke my heart that these people were all alone. we got to change that somehow. Yeah. What's the answer? So... Time has gone kind of quickly, but I want to give you three thoughts to take with you. And the first one is simply this. Um, relationships matter the most. I'm going to say that again. Relationships matter the most. Uh, there's a study done by Harvard. It was a 75-year study. And they found what they said is the one secret to leading a fulfilling life. And he said this. The clearest message that we get from the 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happy and healthy. Period. The biggest predictor of your happiness and fulfillment over, overall in life is basically love. Studies demonstrate that having someone to rely on helps your nervous system relax, helps your brain stay healthy, reduces both emotional and physical pain. And the data is also clear that those who feel lonely are more likely to see their physical health decline earlier and they die younger. And it's not just the number of friends you have, it's the quality of your close friendships that matter 
the most. Secondly, I just want to, the second thing we want you to, to think about is this, choose to be happy. Now it's going to be something to say, what well, joy? No, I like, to, we're going to stick with choose to be happy, you'll see why. This is what First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says. It's a three-prong attack about getting the most out of life. It says this, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and it goes on to say, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There was a study done um, and this is just fascinating to me. Proceedings of National Academic, uh, Academy of Sciences says people who claim to have, excuse me, people who claim to be healthy live 35% longer than less happy people. Did you get that? Went on to say the study, they studied men and women over the age, get this, age 52 to 79 years of age, who rated their happiness the highest they were far less likely to die in the following five years than those who are the least happy. There's something about attitude, gratitude, and choosing joy. Uh, you can't miss that. Um, and then finally, a couple more things here is this. Choose to be in a community of faith. One of the things that's happened is, is that we're, we're moving away from that. And we gotta be careful with that. Hebrews 1025 says, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward. I was talking to my son, Aaron, and some of you know he's, he's here and he's, he's preached here, and some of you have told me after I preached that my son's really good, and, um, which is awesome and true. Um, but Aaron and I were talking about gatherings, and some people look at that verse and say, well, you're talking about being here. What's interesting about Hebrews 10.25 is its context. And it wasn't about meeting here. It was about meeting somewhere different, probably in a home, because they were under persecution. And it was dangerous to have gatherings, large gatherings. But they're saying, you need to get together. And the church went underground. We can't give up on that. My son went on to say, Dad, I'm all about gatherings. And I said, explain that. Oh, we, we gather for church once in a while. Their church only meets once or twice a month. We gather for small groups. We gather for extended periods of prayer. We gather for a Bible study. We gather to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. We gather together when a couple has gotten married. We gather together when somebody lived life and lived it well, and now they're gone. He said, we gather for barbecues. We gather just to gather because these are people of like mind faith who are on the same page. So he said, Dad, I'm all about gatherings, but church attendance on Sundays and the weekend is the least important to me because we live our lives Monday through Friday. And I think he's right on, spot on. And I close with this. You know, what we wanted to do when we, is just, just talk, like him and I talk when we're on the phone and like when we're anytime we're together, we talk about the things that mean the most to us and the things that we're concerned about. And it's been a really tough couple of years, hasn't it? One pastor said this, people are more broken now. They are more uncertain. Fear and anxiousness are unwelcome but constant companions. Cultures, cultures are more unhealthy. Relationships are more dysfunctional. Hope seems to be in short supply. Every day seems to bring a new problem, hacking, natural disaster, or unexpected calamity. But he says, the lessons learned from this last year, if applied, could possibly sustain you for the years to come. 
when I read something like that, I just want you to know we need each other more than we've ever needed each other before. And that means for some of us that we gotta change what we do. We can't live, can't live life isolated. Can't live life isolated. When we do, we put ourselves up on the chalking block for pain and misery and bad choices and regret and hurt. But we need each other. That's why we have life groups. That's why we gather here. That's why we encourage you to get to know the person across the aisle. There are some great people here. And I'm willing to bet some of you have a best friend here that you haven't met yet because you didn't know their name. And maybe tonight, this weekend, we can start that out and said, I don't even recognize your face. Tell me who you are. Somebody said, what happens if, if I already knew and I forgot? I had a brain bleed. And uh, that's what I use for my excuse. I just say, <laughs> I'm getting older, I forget. So remind me, because I need repetition. You mean, you mean more to me than me being embarrassed that I forgot your name. And that's what we need to be about. So let's pray. Father, help us to be people who believe in other people. People who not only need other people, but extend ourselves to others who need people. Help us to be people who don't isolate, that don't pull away, that don't pull back, but jump all in to faith and to community because that's where we get our joy and our energy and our meaning in life. As my dad says all the time now, as he is 82, he says, it's been a quick trip, and indeed it is. And it's a tedious trip, and so we need each other. May we extend ourselves, not only to the people who are in this room, but to the neighbor across the street, because that's what it means to be people of the way, people who serve you. And I pray this in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks, have a great weekend.